Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Block with Montel. My guest today started his journey in the cannabis industry as a YouTube content creator with a channel that grew to over 190,000 subscribers. And then it was deleted from YouTube in 2018 due to cannabis censorships. Now, which led to the creation of a weedtube.com. And he's now on the forefront of social consumption with the Cirrus Lounge set to open in Denver, Colorado later this year. He's a sci-fi author, an LGBTQ plus advocate. Aaron Richard, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Brought with Montel today, sir. Montel, the honor's all mine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, my friend. Look, before we get into what you're doing right now, and I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, it's starting to slowly roll out in different states. And let's talk, we'll talk about that completely in a few seconds. But tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up and, and you know, what was your first cannabis experience? What was that like? So it's going yeah, to be, yeah. Born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Um, did spend some time in New York and LA, but had to come back home um, when I entered into young adulthood. Um, and my, you know, I, I remember I've had an interesting journey with cannabis. I tried it a few times in high school, had a wonderful time, just like, you know, most of us do, but, uh, cannabis didn't really take hold as a normal, regular part of my life until I was about 22 years old, uh, when it was legalized here in Colorado and my doctor actually, uh, prescribed it for me as a way to help with, um, just different symptoms I was dealing with from my blood cell disease, which is called mastocytosis that I was born with. And actually in that first year, cannabis ended up replacing at least three different pills that I was taking in wow. every day for gastrointestinal issues. And so that's kind of where the train got started. Then cannabis helped my mental health a lot. And then it helped me work harder and be a better person. So yeah, my journey with weed has just been a long and beautiful one. That's so good. And now prior to 2018, what was your YouTube channel about and, and what type of content were you really trying to produce? Yeah, I was teaching people about weed. So when you Googled back in 2018 and 2019, when you Googled how to smoke weed, I was the number one result for a video where I taught people how to smoke weed out of a pipe. Um, there was lots of other educational content, you know, teaching people how to smoke out of a bong for the first time, how to use a grinder, because if you're foreign to it, it is wildly foreign. I think sometimes in this industry, we forget that like, people who have never done it look at a pipe and try to light it from the bottom sometimes, right. which is something you see a lot. Yeah. Um, They've seen, so, seen a video of somebody smoking a crack pipe, right? Exactly. Um, not that kind of pipe friend. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, my following back then was uh, on YouTube was mainly just teaching people how to smoke weed and how to do it consciously. And then there was a little bit of a mix in of like, personality and having fun, uh, like hour long sessions where I would just talk about whatever was the hot topic at the time. Were you surprised at the reaction of them, YouTube pulling you down? I think overall it was surprising that they would do it. Just seeing some of the other content that was on YouTube and that is on YouTube still today. But when it happened to me, I had watched a bunch of my other friends get removed for the same thing around the same time. So by the time it came my way, I was not that surprised. But overall, I think it's surprising that YouTube would remove safe and legal cannabis consumption content when there's so many other things going on. Yeah, it's a, it was ridiculous. And did you have any kind of recourse when they pulled your content down? From them? 
yeah. or from my life. No, not from them, not at all. Um, I mean, it was this really crazy thing because I brought a bunch of people together and we co-founded WeedTube, which went on to be the largest cannabis social media that ever was available for the cannabis industry. And every other person that went on WeedTube or that was a co-founder eventually got their YouTube channels back and I'm the only one who never did. Really? <laughs> so they definitely didn't like me. It's fun too, because I'm back on YouTube for the first time in like five years right now, just starting out last month. So it's been an interesting journey back on. Wow. Now you came back on with your, your channel, but then uh, you just shut it down again last month. Um, so WeedTube, which was its own social media platform, which is where I made videos for a very long time, unfortunately closed its doors in January of 2023. Um, it was a beautiful thing while it lasted, but a lot of other social media platforms started allowing cannabis again. So our need to exist in the marketplace kind of dwindled and we had to sunset that application. So with that being done, all of my content was there and left there. So I still wanted to make content, wanted to document the journey of the things that I'm doing now with building Sirius Social Club. So I had to start over on YouTube, all fresh with a brand new channel a month ago. And you know, now supposedly right now, you know, I guess YouTube has lifted the, the moratorium against cannabis, um, though you still have to kind of slow as you go with that, right? It's almost the same thing with cannabis. I mean, you got to be careful of what you put up because you don't know what they're going to say is okay or not okay. You got to be careful with what you put up. You you know, ask yourself, first of all, is what you're doing legal where you are? And that's always important. And then I would say like the biggest number one red flag from what I've seen to avoid having an issue with YouTube would be don't link to the sale of cannabis related products and you'll be okay. Even if that's like CBD and stuff, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't put a link to an outside place that's selling anything. Right, right, right. We'll talk a little bit about just the whole idea of censorship and cannabis period over the past few years. I mean, it's crazy, right? I think um, there's a lot to be said for why cannabis has been so censored and restricted in this country for the last century, nearly. Um, and, you know, asking questions of like why certain people wouldn't allow cannabis to be part of mainstream culture. But I think what it's come down to now with YouTube and Instagram, when they were heavily censoring cannabis stuff, they'd like to say that it's for advertiser relationships, which it probably is. But also, especially on platforms like Instagram, there's this weird niche of what they want is a piece of the marketplace once it becomes federally legal. So you have to stifle all growth until they can enter the game too, is kind of how I see it. Right, right, right. Which I think is, is just, uh, it's ridiculous and especially, and you know, it's tough too also because you're dealing with, you know, I guess we just had another state come on uh, yesterday, but we're dealing with so many different state municipalities, state regulations, there are certain states that you can't even put any information about cannabis at all up online, which is really kind of crazy to me. As if, yeah. you know, what is it, out of sight, out of mind? What are they trying to I don't know. And it's it's this weird thing of like in America, for some reason, we believe that the less people know, the less people will be interested. And it's definitely like human psychology dictates the opposite. Like the more information people have available, the better decisions people will make. So it's you should widely disperse as much information about cannabis as we can. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you nailed it. The more you know, the less of a, you know, I don't know what you would call novelty it is. So therefore you wouldn't have, you know, it's like the more information that is out there, 
you know, those who would gravitate to cannabis will gravitate to cannabis. Those who won't, won't. You know? Exactly. Interesting comparative would be for me something like um, alcohol in Europe versus here, like the level of alcoholism in Europeans is significantly lower than it is in Americans because they make alcohol available earlier. It's much more of a normal part of life. There's not this taboo culture around it that makes people get addicted to it so much more rapidly. So it's the more people, whenever you tell someone they can't do something, what do they want to do? Of course, whatever you tell them you can't do. So exactly. let me ask a couple of questions now. They, you know, they've been telling people that we can't get together and socialize and consume cannabis, but you are, and in some states, they're letting you do that. There's social mm -hmm. consumption. Other states, there's not social consumption. Other states, it's like a gray area. Um, I guess you have to try to open something and then get shut down before you know whether or not it's legal or not. I mean, why did you decide to take on what I think is going to be you know, the next, uh, uh, I don't know, Waterloo, the next, the next really big pushback by so many. I mean, I was in New York about a week ago and, um, it was really funny. I was driving in from the airport. This driver had picked me up, was bringing me in from the airport and, you know, he didn't say a word the entire trip, probably a 40 minute drive. And, um, the last 10 minutes we were in downtown Manhattan. And the only thing he said to me was when we got into Manhattan was, because I rolled the window down, I was like a little tired of the air conditioning. I was like, you know, can we cut the air conditioner off and we just have some outside air? And I rolled the window down and we kind of pulled out this corner. Of course, I had a waft of some, some waft of some, some decent cannabis came flowing through the car. And the guy turned around to me and said, yo, you smell that everywhere. It's everywhere these days. I'm just so sick of it. And I was like, what do you mean you're so sick of it? You don't, don't smell it. I mean, you know, if you smell it, you know, hold your breath for a second and it'll go away. That's what I felt like saying to him, and I didn't. And then I'm just thinking, he's going to be one of the guys that's going to complain about the fact that on a street corner or on a, you know, at some location in the city, they're going to allow people to smoke. And of course, you're going to smell it outside. But, but why would you jump into this aspect of the business, which is really, I think, going to be the next major pushback? I love that you brought it up that way and suggested it in exactly that way. And you're right. It is going to be a major piece of pushback and in all sincere honesty for anyone out there listening, that's considering opening any type of business like this, Montel's right. It's going to be a huge pushback, especially in terms of odor control smoke. I mean, we're introducing social consumption in a time when we are decades past removed cigarettes from society, basically, right? Like we are all very aware that smoking together in a closed room is not the vibe. That's not what we go out and do anymore. So it's like a weird time for this cannabis thing to hit. The reason that I want to do it and that I'm so excited about what we're doing with Cirrus is because I believe that the concept of Cirrus is the one that is going to be the least offensive to the largest group of people. I've developed it in everything I've done. I've asked myself, would my Nana, who is a super respectable grandmother, she's a realtor, she stays in nice hotels, she go, she travels, you know, she's just a lovely average mid-60s woman. And I'm like, would my Nana come in here? And if ever there's something that we're doing or adding to the experience of Cirrus that my Nana wouldn't want to do, then we failed. Some of those things include like joint paper, blunt smoking. My Nana's not going to be comfortable walking into a room where people are doing that. But is she going to be comfortable coming into a room where there's volcano vaporizer happening? And maybe a bong rip here and there, but the bong rip is out of a beautiful piece of crystal glass. 100%. So at the end of the day, it's not going to be for everyone, everyone. But what I believe that I'm doing with Cirrus is making a concept that is environmentally like where when you're in there with your eye, every sense, 
smell, touch, taste, everything is beautiful for the senses. Did you do and, design special, you know, air purification systems or you buy them off the market? Like, yes, we have incredible air purification systems. Uh, just to full disclosure, in our 8,600 square foot building for Cirrus, our mechanical system costs uh, about $400,000 for the level of ventilation that we will be moving throughout the air. And that's like Las Vegas casino level air exchange where you walk in there and maybe you can smell a slight dinge of cigarettes. Like I'm not saying you're ever going to come in Cirrus and not smell weed. Like there's going to be a weed smell a little bit, but you're not going to have offensive smoke anywhere around you. Gotcha. And um, now I don't know, it's Colorado. So does your law, I mean, I think they're going to start consumption in Massachusetts, but they're not allowing you to sell anything. You can't even get water. It was like, yeah. great break. I mean, you know, people are going to go into a, a social consumption place and can't get a glass of water. You know, I mean, yeah. come on, that's really ignorant. And yeah. I, I do buy the fact that alcohol and cannabis don't necessarily meet. But I mean, are there regulations that allow you to sell at least uh, non-alcoholic beverages? Can you sell food? What? what, what? Yes. So um, I built the whole model of Sears based on what was allowed for Denver. Um, and we they do allow um, food sales and they do allow beverage sales that are non-alcoholic. And I agree with you, alcohol and cannabis, especially for what I'm trying to do, which is take over people's Friday night or give them a new option for a Friday or Saturday night. We don't want to mix the two. I, I'm trying to convince the world that you can come have a little inhaled cannabis at Cirrus and still have a great Friday night. Go to dinner afterwards. Go to a show afterwards. You'll still have a great time. You don't need alcohol. Um, but we can have beverages and we can have food. There are some interesting regulations. For example, all like we wanted to have a coffee bar in one area, which looking back now, it wouldn't fit in what we're doing anyway. But at the time, we wanted to have a little, you know, Starbucks style barista situation where daytime guests could go up and order and see a coffee be made. But there's an interesting regulation that any food, any beverage, any anything must be prepared behind an opaque wall. So you you can't have that barista out front. They'd have to be back in a kitchen somewhere, which kind of changed our business plan. Can, will they allow for infused foods, infused beverages? Or So that's an interesting aspect as well. So we there's different license types. They're all called marijuana hospitality in Colorado, which I really love that Colorado did that because other places like Vegas just call it cannabis lounge licenses. In in Colorado, we recognize it for what it is. It's a hospitality business, or it should be. If people want to be successful, it's hospitality. Um, there's non-sales of hospitality, which means you can bring in your own cannabis. And then there's sales, which means you provide cannabis there at very, very low rates. Um, infusing the cannabis into anything is another level of license that no one has been approved for yet. That's not the, something that we're going to be doing. In fact, I strongly stand behind inhaling cannabis for social use. Eating it can be a little different, but we want to pioneer smokeless inhalation for THC. So that that's a big thing that we hope we can pioneer in the next five years is a way to inhale it without it being smoked. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, and then, you know, it, it, I guess your feedstock will determine whether or not you can do that because you know, THC, unless it's THC, it needs to be heated. Yep. So, so, and that's why our main proponent will be the volcano. Are you familiar? Have you tried course, a volcano? Of course. Yeah. I had Which a volcano is, 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, a volcano, if, if you don't know at home, is just warm air that releases THC from the flowers. So that's our main 
<clears throat> point, but it's still trying to have even less matter going into people's lungs other than THC molecules. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, now, are you municipality specific? I mean, did you have to get, you know, you got a state license, but then you have to get covered by the local municipality to allow you to have a lounge? Yeah. So we have Denver or Colorado MED uh, state license. And then we have our city of Denver license, which is, you know, the, the state has legalized it. And then the different municipalities have as well. Denver, obviously, um, as being our capital and being the biggest city in Colorado, I mean, it's a huge deal to get one of these open in Denver. There's three of us that are currently in the process for this license um, that are just trying to jump through hurdles to get the final doors open and everything. But yeah, we are at Denver specific city of Denver. So now when do you intend to open? September of 2023. Okay. And I guess the word is out on the street. Are you getting any pushback from any of your neighbors or anybody near you? No, everybody's been really supportive. The area that we're opening up in, I think could really use a little bit of economic revival since the pandemic for sure. Um, I We've become really close with all the other business owners on the block. It's part of an area of Denver called the Bluebird District, which is one of our huge theaters. Um, there's, there's, there was one voice of concern at our public hearing. You have to have a public hearing in Denver where the public gets to come in and weigh in on whether they want you there or not. And of course, there was like a voice of concern of someone being like, you know, it's going to create parking issues and stuff like that. But any business really would. And we're trying to be really mindful with all of our neighbors there of promoting rideshare services for our guests to come in and go home and, you know, working on renovating a parking lot area down the street to have valet parking if we need it too. So we're trying to solve the problems that the neighbors have had for sure. Great. And now again, in, in your, is, first off, do you have a website for Cirrus? Yes. CirrusSocialClub.com. And Cirrus is C-I-R-R-U-S. It's a cloud. Some people are like, where'd you get that name? It's, it's the highest cloud in the sky. Um, and yeah, SeriousSocialClub.com. Follow us on Instagram too. We're about to hit 3,000 followers after just three months of being on Instagram. That's great. So people can look at it and get some information about it. Um, yeah. You know, now, are you going to be providing the cannabis to just, so did you have to have a dispensary license also in conjunction with the lounge or is the dispensary nearby or is uh, it since you know, you're, it's legal in Denver. So do they, do they call recreational facilities dispensary still? I don't, I don't know. We do call them dispensaries, even if they're recreational. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier, there's there's the license that's with sales or without. Currently, we are without sales. So currently, you'd have to bring your own. That being said, um, if I can just share a little bit with you, of Montel. Course, sure. Um, sure. We've, we have hit like the slightest little roadblock in our process, which is just that it costs a little bit more money to change the world than we thought that it would, which is okay. So we're taking investment meetings and stuff. And the investor's response is, hey, we really need you to sell weed here. Like that really needs to happen for this to work out the way that you want it to. So we're actually about to restart the application process. The city of Denver has allowed us to keep our current approval while still applying for the new type of license. And uh, then as soon as we would become approved for that one, we could forfeit the old one, which is just such an interesting process. But we still wouldn't sell weed. We wouldn't change our prices or anything. It's just the ability to control what product people have in front of them. And it just, instead of outsourcing that cost 
to a dispensary. It's just that we just take that cost on ourselves because it's all inclusive pricing at Cirrus. So it's everything's included. So you would basically purchase from a dispensary, have it yes. on your facility, and then you give it away or you sell it? So, for example, in our in our current model where they have to go to the dispensary, when you make a reservation with us, there's multiple ways to do it, but you would get a discount for your purchase at a dispensary. And that dis that dispensary would go in with Cirrus, like $10 a piece on that cost. So it would cost us $10 to get them that weed. In the new model, we would go to a grower and buy bulk cannabis that we thought, which is really perfect because finding the right cannabis strain for people to consume socially is a whole science in itself. And, and I was worried about making sure people would buy the right strains. Like if they bought something super strong THC and then they feel all awkward, that's not going to work super well. So it, it, it would more be like when you come to Cirrus as a guest, if we have it there, you pay your fee to do the sesh. And it's just that instead of paying $10 to the dispensary, we paid probably like five to acquire the cannabis to give to you. But it's we don't have like a menu of weed necessarily. We have three strains and they're what we recommend for your experience. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, when you when you look at this and think about how do you think this will translate in other states? Because again, everybody is different. You're going to have to kind of go in and look at the municipality rules and regulations and figure it out. I guess yep. people don't have a chance to, to sell food, but you can. There's there's one idea in Massachusetts where you know you'll have the facility and outside the door you can have a food truck. Yeah. So. This is the thing about Cirrus. I, what I think Cirrus is, is it is the perfect, because nobody's done it, right? There is no mainstream brand that we're all aware of in cannabis hospitality that's like, oh, this is how you do it. So my goal is to have Cirrus be that business so that when new municipalities legalize and they're like, well, what do we do? They can be like, oh, you see this successful company here. Same thing within Denver, where there's a lot of gray area right now for us in what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. And to combat that gray area, we have SOPs for days to where if we, God forbid, or some other hospitality license did something that caused a problem that Denver decided, hey, we want to make a rule about this now, we can go to Denver and say, well, here's our SOPs on how we do it to prevent that issue that you're having. Can you maybe enact our way of doing it? Uh, in terms of getting into other municipalities, there are like bare minimums for me that they would need to allow us to do. Like if you can't have food in there, then it, a serious won't work there because it's all based on shared experience. It's a shared sesh, it's shared foods. It's about connecting with people that you love. So if we can't give people food, then it's not gonna work in Cirrus. We would just wait until they fix that. But I think once a lot of the country sees a proper example of what cannabis hospitality can look like and should look like, that will help form a lot of the rules. But as you take a look at what's happened with the cannabis so far nationally, I'm not, I'm not and not, I'll say this in, in, to throw a monkey wrench in, but it just seems to me as if it's taken us this long just to get to open up a door. I know. It's going to be, what, four or five years before we hit a spot where those things are even considered, right? Yeah, I, I personally, my personal plan is within five years to have 10 Cirruses open across the country. But within a decade, I really think that cannabis consumption will be at least 30% of the market share of preferred social consumption vices like versus alcohol. I'm not saying half, I'm not saying it's going to beat it. But I think within a de decade, it'll be absolutely culturally acceptable 
to be consuming cannabis socially. But it's it, again, it's in those non-offensive ways that we still have to develop that don't bother everyone else. Right. I, 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 I kind of would agree with you. I thought for, you know, for the longest time, I've been one of those people who thought in yeah, the next three, four years, we'll start to see some very serious changes in the way cannabis is accepted in the nation. But I am now, you know, convinced that it's more between the five and the 10 year mark. I think that we're, we're seeing just, you know, there's a lot of pushback happening all the way across the country. People looking at minor cannabinoids and trying to figure out how they can outlaw them. And that, 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 that. it's just like, you know, one argument after another. Well, that's the thing too, is they've, they've so made regular naturally growing cannabis so illegal and unobtainable that now we're dealing with all synthetic cannabinoids that are like killing people. It's like legalize weed, please, because you're making all these alternatives pop up that are not good. Right. For sure. For sure. Well, wait, man, what, do you, what do you think in terms of the industry itself? Do you see us changing in the next three to four years? What, what do you think is going to happen? You said yeah, I, I think marijuana hospitality is going to have a huge impact on the whole industry. I don't think the industry's done being shaped. I think what we have right now is liquor stores all across the country, but it's cannabis. What we haven't even touched, which probably outweigh liquor stores a ton, are restaurants, bars, nightlife experiences. That's where the majority of the liquor is being sold. That is a part of the industry for cannabis that hasn't even been touched yet. So I think our industry is going to change a lot. And, and you know, the thing about Cirrus is it, we're really trying to, the reason it, it hasn't like reached mainstream attention yet is because people still feel like they can't tell everyone in their life that they love cannabis sometimes, you know, like people like us who are public and upfront about it, we don't care. We're, but we're still seen as advocates, right? Like I'm still a cannabis advocate. I'm just not an average person who loves weed, which I am to myself, but to cross that bridge of making people not feel taboo about it at all, we have to like get our parents to go and our grandparents and well, we got to get them out of the way. <laughs> got to get them to go or get them out of the way. I mean, exactly what's happening right now. And I, I, I hate to say it, but it's going to require, you know, a significant amount of our current Congress and Senate to just do what they should have done 10 years ago. And that's retire. You know, literally, we got, we got literally folks that are sitting here in their seventies and eighties that literally have the same mentality that they had in the fifties about cannabis and about everything else in America. So until yeah. we get rid of some of these little, excuse my mouth, but some of these, you know, hey, I, let's let's just say I, I I've been one of the people who've talked about the fact that this industry has a lot of things that it has to correct. One, yes. probably the demographic in the country thirteen no seventeen percent of the country is baby boomers over the age of sixty five. Mm. So what we got to do is, I mean, this is something I think that this business industry has done a real misservice to or an injustice to is to the baby booming population. Because if you look across the country at every state where legislation put the rules in place for cannabis, it was the baby booming legislators that did so. Why? These are the guys who remember themselves when they were in high school smoking a joint under the bleachers or their friends who smoked a joint under the bleachers, but they recognize that that friend is still a successful person. So they are voting in favor of, but there's another half of them that will be against it until the day they die. Mm -hmm. Now what we got to do is we've got to figure out a way how to get rid of that one half and how to educate the other half to make them understand it wasn't just something you voted yes for. This is something that you yourself need. 
Well, yeah. you're talking about your grandma. Your grandma's probably, or your, your, your nana, you know, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I have to. I'm in your nana's demographic, my friend. And okay. in that demographic, I know, I, I'm going to tell you, I, well, it's because I hang out with them, but I don't know too many people in my demographic who don't consume. They hide sure. it. They hide it, but the majority of them are doing it. Mm-hmm. They, I know a lot of them are doing so lacking the education that they need. And that's I think, mm. a misservice of us as an industry for not directing it at them. Yeah. But this is, is also, this is also a demographic that has a considerable amount of disposable income. There are people who right now have a lot of their kids living in the basement. Let's remember that. So they got the money to pay for this. So what we got to do is we've got to figure out a way to get rid of half of that demo and educate the other half. And then we'll have people who will help to continue to champion this. Well, and let me just tell you that 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 is the whole mission statement of Sierra Social Club is to change generational perceptions of cannabis. And last last week I had uh, our PR team come in and our new cycle PR person was um, talking. She's a first generation immigrant and her parents are horrified of cannabis. She's, she's never told them that she even works in proximity to cannabis, let alone consumes it. And they came and we took them through a whole serious experience beginning to end and showed them the whole thing. And at the end, she said, I think that I would bring my mom here. Wow. wow. So that that's what we're trying to do. We're really trying to make that shift happen. Yeah. And I think it's, I think, you know, for again, be just because of aging out, mm. you know, in the next 10 years, I think you're going to see a big shift in the way cannabis is accepted. Like right now, again, we just had a camera, which state it was in the last couple of days just voted in. Nobody thought they would ever do so, but they voted in. And we're going to continue to see more and more states, one at a time, popping up and voting in and legalizing for either recreational or for medical. And as that continues to happen over the next 10 years, as some of these legislators start to retire, we'll see an entire shift in the way cannabis is perceived. Because we do recognize that, you know, I think it's there's no question that cannabis is is much better for you than alcohol. So once we get to that point that the majority of people who are in legislative positions recognize that, I think we start to see a change, maybe. And it's different than alcohol too in a big way, you know? Like well, sure. I can't I can't wait to see how the majority of society reacts to, hey, you've been going out every weekend doing something that makes you forget all your problems and now you're gonna spend some of your time having something that maybe brings your consciousness to the forefront and it might be uncomfortable for a second for you to sit in. You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah, for sure. And you know, yeah. you are, you are a big LGBTQ plus advocate. I am. What do you think about the industry when it comes to opening its doors to the LGBTQ plus community? I think that we're wildly forgotten. I think that the, um, the strides that the gay community made in the 80s and 90s for cannabis legalization in California and other places to combat the AIDS epidemic because it was truly like one of the best medicines to help patients, not heal, but like help them, you know, get through what they were getting through. Yeah, like cope. Um, countless people were arrested during that time and you know, just I, there's like a story of Brownie Mary, who's this sweet woman who made brownies for all of the patients in the AIDS ward in San Francisco. And she was arrested like five times and she just kept getting out and keep making these weed brownies for people. Um, I think that 
a lot of the time the queer community is left behind in the conversation about how we got cannabis to where it is. And I think that that can be sometimes a bummer to see, but I love to carry that torch whenever I humanly can. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. You, you say, I, I, I speak on that everywhere I go because it's like, you know, how dare we ignore those who were pulled out of their houses on, you know, hospital bed gurneys and things like that, you know, Literally. arrested. And now we as an industry ignore them and they were the ones who paved the way um, along with, you know, black and brown people across this country who have spent more time, more, more, uh, uh, a larger percentage of them arrested than anybody else in the country. So it's really kind of uh, bizarre. Will your series have a LGBTQ slant or it's just a general public slant? I think our target demographic is women from the ages of 25 to 55. And that meaning that like, when I being who I am have designed it to be what it is, it's like double checking that the vibe fits the best for that group of people. But 100% Cirrus is a safe place for queer people. They would feel totally comfortable there. And that's one of the reasons that I did it. I, as a queer person, as a gay man, have I, it's really hard for me to find a space in the cannabis industry, whether that's a physical space or a communal grouping or anything like that, where I feel 100% comfortable and safe the whole time. So I think coming out and boldly like making a business that is so in your face feminine in a way that even like mainstream cultural businesses won't do anymore. Cause it's almost too risky to, to have so much identity in commercial business anymore. Um, was my way of being like, Hey, there's this other half of this industry and that's women and queer people. And we deserve a space too. and watch this space become the biggest and most culturally relevant one. Yeah. You know, just, uh, just as you're talking, I, I got to get your opinion. I mean, you've noted in the last, I mean, it's really weird to me. I, I just, I can't get to this in my brain. So help me, please help me. In the last 10 years, there was a period of time up until about, you know, pre, now let's go back even 15 years. There was a time pre the last president, not the one who's currently in, but the one before him, where it appeared as if the nation was moving in a, direction of trying to be less, how do I put it, less biasly blind. I mean, mm. you know, there was, there seemed to be a better acceptance of, of race and, and of people, you know, not necessarily integrating, but people just being together and working together. There was seemed to be a movement towards greater acceptance of the LGBTQ community. As a matter of fact, Plus community, because that, that's where those the, the letters came from we yep. met five or six years ago, six or six, 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 seven years ago. So we started to see the nation start to accept it even more and seem to even stay its course during the last administration. However, you started seeing them trying to hack away at it, hack away at it. When the president of the United States went after, you know, trans uh, service members when they went after you know, anything positively trans, but it seemed like there was a pushback from the general public. In the last two years, you know, bring into account the butthead from Florida who has been leading a charge that seems to have allowed some other buttheads to jump aboard that charge. All of a sudden now there's this huge, I mean, I, I, I just, I can't understand how the momentum has shifted so far in the wrong direction, my friend. I mean, tell me, what do you think? Am I wrong in, in this assessment? 
No, you're not wrong at all. I also think society, like provenly, if you look through history, is always going to be a pendulum. We're always going to kind of like, you know, go back and forth, um, which is such an interesting thing that happens. But the 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 whole situation with I'm sure what we're talking about is like drag bands are the current big thing and, and talking about drag queens being groomers and like keeping drag making drag an illegal thing in Tennessee, Florida, Texas. But like I think just, that's, that's just an excuse to go after the entire community. The queer community. It is. Oh, yeah, I think that's bullshit. I think that so talking about drag is that's bullshit. We, we know fucking Benjamin Franklin was fucking drag queen. Excuse my mouth. Exactly. And it's, and excuse my fucking drag queen was not about drag queens. It was about just the conversation. It was about Benjamin Franklin. And then when we look back in time, I mean, it's, it's so funny. You know, I recently was was fortunate and I called because they're blessed. A friend of mine asked me to um, talk to his daughter. His daughter asked me if uh, I would officiate their wedding. And I thought that was an incredible opportunity. And so I got, uh, you know, I, I got ordained and, and, went through the process and the daughter came to me and said, you know, Monta, look, I don't want a religious wedding. I would like to have a, you know, a, a wedding that was meaningful to I and my uh, spouse and, and to the community. And I went, you know, let me do some studying. So I did that and I started digging and studying and, and something that really shocked me is that, you know, you hear all these dumbass arguments from people who say, well, you know, marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. As far as business to dawn, shut up. You know what up? Because that's a ball faced lie. I found this out. I'm sure, I don't know if you know this or not, but do you, you remember Nero? Mm. Remember the name Nero? Mm, no. Nero was the king, and um, what was he the king of? He was a king back, um, you know, um, three, four hundred. Okay. No, one hundred. Okay. Nero was way back uh, Egypt. Okay. And a lot of people don't know this, but Nero was married officially, official wedding ceremonies to two men. Oh, period, Nero. On two different times. Nero, yes, my friend. I'm trying to be and, like Nero. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is the homie, this is the homie who got stabbed in the bike. You know, the Ides of, of, of March and all that stuff is about him, right? Okay, I'm not trying to get be Nero. <laughs> no, you don't want to be Nero. But he got stabbed, and he wasn't stabbed in the back because of that. However... Um, you know, uh, so way back at the turn, a hundred years beyond Christ, you know, weddings were in ceremonies and official marriages didn't really take on man, woman thing until honestly the forties, fifties in America. So, you know, this whole idea of, of people thinking that they need to, to, put their, I don't know, their personal ignorance and make that run uh, or, or to be something that they need to share and make sure that they can oppress other people with is really kind of ridiculous. So, you know, I, I just looked at, and I really am glad we had to have an opportunity to chat because I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this right. And I think people need to understand what's going on more today because it just seems like the pushback I've, I've never seen you talk about the swindling, the pendulum swinging. This pendulum went boom, yeah. back to the other side real fast. Are you are you worried about this? Yeah, I'm horrified. It's terrifying. Uh, to, just to be honestly personal in a, in a very weird way, um, I when I came out of the closet when I was 15, I was kicked out of my home. I mm. then, when I was like 21 years old, rekindled my relationship with my parent and had like a decade 
or longer of us getting along really, really, really well. They told my partner that they love them. We would spend a ton of time together. And yeah, just literally this year, a few months ago, that same parent told me again, you know, I really just can't accept your, your sexuality. And so, yeah, like there has been this wild uptick in religious morality in quotations, obviously, because I'm a moral person outside of being religious. Um, that is like terrifyingly pointed at us. Meanwhile, protect the children. Meanwhile, hundreds of kids are dying from mass shootings, but we can't talk about that. All right. It's look over here. It's like, look over here. This is the problem. It's like, no, the problem is the most obvious problem, which is gun violence. Uh, Yeah, no question. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because, I mean, we we know that now for the first time in American history, you know, the number one cause of death among children is guns. Literally. And you know what? I'm not here to like advocate like for against if people should be able to have any kind of gun rights. But if you're not uh, against like or if you're not for like better gun control so that we can protect more people, that's a fucking weird standpoint to have. I I, I agree with you 100 percent. Weird. So I'm hoping that this community opens up his doors and, and embraces the LGBTQ community plus community even more though so than they have. Anything else you want to add? No, just that it's been an honor to be here talking with you, Montel. I've, I've had a great time. Oh, my friend, I've had a great time too. And anytime you want to come back and make sure you come back and talk to us when you get ready to open up, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll try to get out to Denver and we'll do a live, uh, uh, a podcast from uh, Sarah. Yeah. We have a podcast studio that's being built into it. So we'll get you right on in there. That's great, man. Because I mean, that, that would be, I think that's something that will help to change the attitudes. And I'm, I hope that, again, we see this pendulum swinging back the wrong direction on so many things. I hope it doesn't swing back in that direction when it comes to cannabis also. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> but I think the cat's out the bag. It's too late now. Sorry, cat's out the bag. Old Blue's gone down the, the, the driveway. Old Blue, you yep. can't get him back. Yep. He's going to keep on. Right? Yep. All right, my friend, will you be well? You take care of yourself. Take care of all those you love. And, um, you know, again, hit me up sometime in the future. We'd love to have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. One more time before we go, give them your stats. Give them where can they find out more information? Yes. Go follow Cirrus Social Club on Instagram at Cirrus Social Club and follow me at Aaron Richard. My name is spelled A-R-E-N-D Richard. It's, a, it's an interesting name. It's a nice spelling, but interesting pronunciation too. Yeah. So you say, take care of yourself, stay well, and make sure you – Continue to tune in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.